We haven't entirely nailed down what element it is yet, but I'll tell you this, it's a lively one. Let's give your parents a call right now. Welcome to episode number 40 of Gaming with the Moms. Number 40. Yay! Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm Nicole Tanner. I'm managing editor at pixlookin.org and the mother of a three-year-old. I am joined by fellow mom and publisher of Pixelkin, Linda Brenneman. Hi there. And today we have our special guest, Dr. Randy Kuhlman, who is a child psychologist with over 30 years of experience, and we're going to ask him all kinds of questions oh, <laughs> a little yes. bit later Prepare on. Prepare to be interrogated. Okay, <laughs> I'm ready. All right. Uh, and then, as always, Simone Me. de Rochefort. <laughs> I am Can't now an authentic Texan, um, having eaten many, many meats in Texas over the past week. It's been a, a joy ride, frankly. Yeah, so Simone was at PAX South. Yay! So besides the meat, were there any, like, games involved oh, games. in the trip? That <laughs> happened as well. Okay, so fantastic, joyous game called Death Stare, uh, made by R&D Labs. It's an Australian indie game company. I think it's their first game. It was uh, a Kickstarter game. It is a competitive stair climbing game, and he tells me this. Matt, the lovely developer, tells me this, and I go, ooh, and he's like, you don't know what that is. It's, you don't know what competitive stair climbing is, and I was like, no, of course I don't, but I've never even heard of this, so it sounds like it's going to be awesome. Uh, it is a multiplayer game. It's four-player split screen. One person is at the top of the stairs, and they have an arsenal of weapons like beach balls and dodgeballs and landmines, and they're trying to make the stairs impossible to climb for the other three people who are climbing the stairs. And it was so funny, so funny, because you're like you're trying to run up the stairs, and the characters are all silly. Like there's a mime called Jacques Le Mime, or Jacques Le Mime, as I said. There's a weird clown. There's like a witch with a broomstick and you're running up the stairs and then there'll just be this barrage of beach balls coming at you and you're like, no, <laughs> trying to dodge them. It was really, really funny. There's another game I play called Kona, which is made by a French Canadian developer. And it's kind of like a mystery game that takes place in the wilds of northern Canada. And it was narrated in English, but the version I was playing, um, all the text was in French which was very cool. So but you go to this town and people are missing and you're trying to kind of figure out what happened to them and exploring the buildings that are left behind. I, I want to know more about it. So yeah, the demo was very interesting though. Cool. Yeah. Our writer, Eric Watson said that he saw a lot of cool things too. And I met He's him. He gonna... saw me. He was talking Yay! about me when he said he saw cool things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, and you met, you met Charles too. Yeah. Right? I met Charles, Charles and Terry. Yes. Very, very cool. I was never... so, Charles came up to me. He was like, Simone or no, we know he thought I was you at first. He was like, are you Nicole? And I was like, I'm Simone. And he was like, ah, uh, that was fun. <laughs> nice uh, yep, it was great I yeah had a really good time pack south is just so chill and fun like the and, and because the AAA presence is so it, there there's not much of it there so you, there's so much time to really dig into the indie games that are around um a lot of fun australian developers there super cute uh i won't talk about that though <laughs> Well, they're getting their own packs here pretty soon. It's this year, isn't it? That, uh, Melbourne is getting a packs. I think so. I think they had it last year too. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. It's been happening for a few years now, um, but I don't remember what month it happens in. Hopefully, not when Australia is a hot hellscape of <laughs> <laughs> spiders, <laughs> which I assume is now because it's summer there. Right. Um, okay, so Pack South was awesome. That's cool. Um, our writers are writing some stuff about it. 
which will be on the site soon. So keep a lookout for that. Um, so we're going to start off things like we always do with some news. Uh, Lego Star Wars The Force Awakens is going to be coming to every console you can imagine in June. Which is looks probably, really cute. It does look really cute. I'm not surprised in any way, shape, or form because... Every large franchise these days has a Lego version. So, uh, but yeah, the the trailer is hilarious. It's it so was funny. so funny. I <laughs> it, it basically parodies the movie trailer, but then there are a bunch of little cute Lego quirks added, like Poe Dameron playing the the music from the cantina and um, right. in A New Hope in his X wing and. BB-8 is there and he's so cute. He, look, he doesn't look special at all. He just looks like normal BB-8 except with a little Lego bit on his head because he's already kind of, I mean, he's about as simplified as you can get for yeah. a figure. It would be kind of difficult to portray him in the blocky form. Yeah, That's he'd have to be. probably why they left him. Square BB-8. Bouncing yeah, that around. Would, that would be, be kind of weird. Have all yeah. you seen the uh, Star Wars movie? Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, we can finally talk about it, right? <laughs> Yeah, I finally saw it. It was fun. I thought it was kind of a remake of uh, the original. Yes. Yeah, yes. New Hope. It was very much like a New Hope. Yeah. Yes. That's super cool. And introduced me to Oscar Isaac, who I did not realize was the most beautiful human on this planet Earth. <laughs> oh, Very geez. important. Now, which one was he? Poe Dameron, the fighter pilot. Oh, the fighter pilot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My husband. <laughs> you you how married many hus- so many people. Yeah, I was going to say, how know. many husbands is that now? Like, Too you're... many. Can't keep track of them. <laughs> keep losing them, so I have to get new ones. Right. So in other news, President Obama has announced an initiative called Computer Science for All, in which he wants to have computer science classes uh, in some way, shape, or form in every school across the country, which is super cool. Uh, it is, Yeah. yeah. It sounds like he's uh, got a long way to go, though. Yeah, I know. That's what I was just going to say. He's like, <laughs> I'm asking Congress for funding. And I'm like, oh, geez. <laughs> so another like eight years. <laughs> yes, possibly. Whoever becomes president will have to keep uh, working on that. Hopefully they will. But are, are we getting close to talking politics or should we just? Oh, God, no. Skirt around no, no, it. Yeah. Skirt around it. I'm with you. I'm totally yeah. with you. I will say whoever is the next president, I hope that they do understand the importance of computer sciences uh, for the future of our children and our our species. It's a big deal. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. So hopefully um, that will come of something. And if you didn't hear about that, uh, you can see it on YouTube and uh, President Obama's. He does a weekly uh, video address, and that's where he announced it last week. How did I not know that? Yeah. (laughs) How did you not know that? Yeah, you know, presidents have always done, like, fireside chat or whatever things usually it's been like radio but now of course it's youtube because who listens to radio anymore um that's so funny is he just like sitting at his desk chatting with y'all or yeah what? it's like headshot um he just you know he just talks i haven't watched very many of them honestly this one was very sort of like speechy so so yeah but yeah it's cool if you didn't know about that you, the president goes on youtube once a week and you could comment on it and things like that (laughs) if that's your thing go for it it's totally my thing (laughs) okay um so in other news madden nfl says that the panthers are going to win the super bowl now if you're not familiar with this uh ea runs a simulation of madden uh on pro difficulty and they just they take the two teams that are going to be in the Super Bowl, put it on pro difficulty, just let it go and see what happens. And so 
this year they say the Panthers are going to win. Um, but the interesting thing is like they predict like all these things, like what the score is going to be at which part in the game and who's going to be MVP and who's going to like get the winning play. Like it's crazy, crazy amount of depth that they go into in predicting this. And, you know, I was kind of like, yeah, what, whatever. But they have predicted the winners nine out of 12 times. And last year they predicted the ending score correctly. That's that's nuts. Now, are you all are you all in the Seattle area? Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, okay, so you probably don't like my Patriots very well. No, we don't. Year. Would you like to say something about them that will then tear apart? <laughs> you know, I wonder if uh, Madden had the Patriots playing against the Panthers. If the Patriots wouldn't win, they really were a better team, but they lost. What can I say? That's I don't a, know. I'm almost embarrassed to tell you. You know how much I live and die with them, and uh, <laughs> my wife has always criticized me for the 70 inch TV that we have in our house. But it's really good for watching football, I tell you. Yes, and games, right? Well, I, I, you know, that's that, that I'll have to make an admission about my gaming a little bit later. I'll hold off on that. Okay. <laughs> Don't um, worry too much about the Patriots problem. I understand that it is it is a terminal thing. Like you, you cannot <laughs> once it happens to you, you cannot resist. So I, I live and die by Patriots. That's fine by me. Actually, in New England, the 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 real heartthrob is the is the Red Sox. Uh, right, yes. more so than the Patriots, but uh, but but both of them. It's you know you have new passionate New England fans who really are depressed for for well for for Red Sox fans they were depressed for years at a time. Right, the 1980s. <laughs> oh no, until two thousand four came along. So. Yes, I, I'm just going to say our teams haven't been winning that much, so I don't think we could afford to be that depressed about it. <laughs> Except you know the Seahawks are doing all Seahawks right. Seahawks are terrific. Yeah. yeah they they were you know i i'm not, i'm actually surprised that they didn't go all the way to the super bowl again this year so are we i i'm i am actually kind of glad that they're not because honestly uh when they won the year they won my neighborhood sounded like a war zone with all of the fireworks and whatnot going off and i looked at my husband i'm like what the heck is going on and he's like i think it was the super bowl today <laughs> oh yeah that's right and then so so we don't watch the super bowl obviously so last year we were just sitting there like just waiting for the barrage and it got to be like eight o'clock and i'm like yeah i think they lost (laughs) (laughs) there were a couple people who still set fireworks off but it was nowhere near what it was the previous year i think i watched it last year but the year that we won was one of the only years that i've ever watched the super bowl because i was like it's time for me to get into this i can do it we had a super bowl party and everything we made food we won and then we just stayed home all night going yep that was pretty cool we watched some football i understood what the lines meant that was a special time but the commercials like for people who don't like don't like watching football the commercials become the attraction because that's when all the companies roll out their great big campaigns. And like one year I did that with my husband and then I don't know if Animal Planet still does it, but when the actual game was on, we would switch over to the Puppy Bowl and oh. watch that instead. <laughs> That's the so, way to be. I know, exactly. The Puppy Bowl was awesome. <laughs> um okay, so away from football and back to games, uh me Tomo. Are you saying football Nintendo- isn't a real game? Oh, sorry. <laughs> From real life games into digital games. How we all know that? that football players aren't real gamers. Come on. Let's admit it. 
I'm sorry, I'll stop interrupting you. Go ahead. Uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of them are, actually. (laughs) um, That's true. They're in all the commercials. You know, one of the things that I've been writing about lately has been about kids watching Let's Plays. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I draw a parallel between kids watching Let's Plays and adults watching people play sports. Yes. It's like, you know, the kids are watching someone else play a game. And they're, you know, directing what's going on. They're talking about what's going on. They're describing it. And, they're, and, and you know, adults really in many ways do the same thing. Why would you watch football instead of play it? Why would you, you know, or, or worse off, maybe baseball because it's so slow. But, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's really, you know, in, in many ways, the, the let's plays are on, on some levels modeled after what we're seeing with other people just watching people play games. And, and, That's right. and, and parents yeah. don't understand why kids do it, but I'm not sure how often parents actually ask too much about how they're probably doing the same thing, just not with a video game, with the, you know people playing a sports game yeah. or something else. Yes, absolutely. And the whole esports thing, too. Like, I never thought I would ever be interested in watching an esports thing because I don't like to watch any real-time sports. But the Hearthstone uh, competition was going on at PAX last year, and I was mesmerized. <laughs> like, every free minute I had, I was sitting there watching that thing. And I'm like, wow. I guess I would like to watch this stuff after all. And I think if you play the game and you know enough about it, it's really interesting to see kind of how the professional people do things. I learned a lot watching them about which cards I absolutely had to have in my deck because like all of them had this card in their deck. And so, um, so yeah, it was fun. Um, That's the key. You kind of have to understand at least the basics of the game you're watching or else. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. That's yeah. really a very good point. I mean, who wants to watch a football game if they don't understand it? In the same way, just like adults don't want to watch some of the Let's Play videos because they don't understand what people are doing in the game. Exactly. So, yeah, it makes um, an awful lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Mitomo. Mitomo and my Nintendo are coming next month. Mitomo is the first mobile app from Nintendo, and it is not a game. It is kind of this, it's actually kind of weird, this little social thing where you take a little test and you make a a, a me kind of based on those uh, uh, answers that you give, and then your me goes off into the world and uh, talks to other me's and then comes back to you and tells you what they talked about. Uh, so, um, I mean, it's kind of cool. It's kind of uh, Cyrano de Bergerac, you know, for me. I laughed so much when you made that that reference. <laughs> that, that's one of the most obscure references that I've ever seen in relation to a Nintendo game of it's all It's true, things. though. I actually had to look that up today because I remembered um, the Roxanne movie with Steve Martin oh from back God. in the day. And I'm like, I know that's based on like something really, really old, and I don't remember what it's called, so I had to look it up. And yes. Did I pronounce that right? You did. You did, actually. Wow. Do you want to explain the plot of Cyrano de Bergerac for, for our audience in case well, they're not familiar? <laughs> It's well, I don't know. I I could explain Roxanne a little more, but I think it's the same type of gist. So there's this guy is like in love with this girl, but he's really socially inept, uh, and he gets another guy to sort of be him while he's around the girl and do all like the talking and the messaging. Am I am I right about that? And yeah. then like I think it all hands ha- turns out happily in the end once the girl realizes who the real guy is and you know all that kind of stuff. Well, so. Cyrano had a gigantic nose, right? Oh, right. Right. Yes. So he didn't want to show his face. Yeah, that was the same thing in that movie, too. I remember Steve Martin had this unbelievable, like, Pinocchio nose. It was, it was really... The thing I remember most about that movie is his, like, octopus impression. <laughs> 
I don't remember that part. Uh, I'll have to show you next time I see you. I don't think it would translate well to sound. Anyway, <laughs> what an enjoyable film that I haven't seen since I was 12 years old. Right, I, yeah. I, I think I was it. 12 when I saw it, too. It's a really old movie. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, I know. That Turns out weird. Nicole and I actually are the same age. Who knew? Um, I'm old. Yeah. So where's where's your baby then? Where's your three-year-old daughter? Uh, I, I lost track of them, too. Oh, okay. Um, and then My Nintendo. My Nintendo is the new rewards program that is replacing Club Nintendo. And it's basically working the same way, except for that um, rather than just getting rewards for buying physical games, you are now getting rewards for actually playing the games and downloading content and all that good stuff, which, you know, Nintendo, they, they take a while to, to get to uh, into the 20s, 21st century with everybody else. But they're finally there. So that should be cool. I was in Club Nintendo. I got some really cool stuff. I got an Animal Crossing case for my DS, which was super cool. Courtney yeah. got a cute little Mario calendar. Do you know, are they, do they have trophies in my Nintendo? I have no idea. They should. Honestly. I love trophies. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I bet you that they're, they're going to give you like some little, I don't know, icon or something like in Splatoon or whatever being like, you know. I've earned X number of points in my Nintendo or whatever. I would be surprised if they didn't do that because it's almost like achievements and, and trophies. And, you know, they've been kind of late to the game on that whole thing as well. Yeah. So even Android has trophies. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, so the last bit of news has absolutely nothing to do with games, but it's the funniest story I have read in a very, very long time. Apparently, there are swans, a pair of swans who have been tormenting the people who live uh, in this town called Brimscombe in England. <laughs> <laughs> and they can't do anything about the swans because they're protected, like from a royal decree, um, which originally was set up because swans were a delicacy. So, you know, only the royalty could have them. And then over the years, it changed into like, you know, they're a protected species because of X, Y, and Z. But technically, the royalty does still own all swans. All uh, swans. All swans in England. But because of this, like these, these people can't do anything about these swans. And they've gotten really aggressive. They're like <laughs> attacking cars and children. Like they have this video um, on the site, which is, I should probably tell you uh it's vox world and the uh the writer is uh amanda tubb and the, <laughs> this video is crazy like shows swans like just trying to nibble at like the bumpers of cars oh my and, gosh. <laughs> and the thing is like these poor people they can't do anything to hurt them and so they have they, it's so great they use water guns <laughs> squirt guns on the swans to get them to move away it is just i don't know that seems like a great way to antagonize the swans i don't know that, that it yeah seems i like know get their revenge someday yeah i know that's that's kind of true it's like oh well, you know if you want them to go away you probably shouldn't s squirt them with a water gun. <laughs> i've know. always been very disappointed that swans are protected because they look delicious like they're huge <laughs> yeah i'm sure they are i mean pro this is terrible what I said this is terrible. I was probably I was gonna say they probably don't taste that different from duck. Honestly, mm, I should have gotten the duck last night. Then, yeah, you should have. 
More like goose. And like geese, they are the epitome of evil. Like there is nothing worse than a swan. Yeah, geese are they're so nasty. Yeah. There was a goose that uh, chased my sister once when we were on vacation. She got way too close to it. She was like six or seven. So she's like, oh, cool animal bird thing. Let's go. And it just like <laughs> spread its wings. It was just honking at her. <laughs> it was terrible. Yes. They can break your arms. She's yeah, lucky. She, yeah, I know. She got away from it. In time. Sounds like a really uh, good indie game, Nicole. I know. That's what I was going to say. The the writer the writer refers to them as villainous squans, and I'm like that is the perfect game villainous squans like just just think of all the things you could do with that. <laughs> oh, I'm down. All right, I know well, I'm down too. Kizzy can do the art. Uh, let yeah, let's make that happen. Yep, time to start a game company. <laughs> right. Swan. Okay simulator yeah i'm sorry that was probably funnier to me than than most people but no i uh, always enjoy talking about birds yes (laughs) you know me my (laughs) brethren courtney is the one who shared the link and uh yeah it was it was so awesome okay so uh let's move on into our regular topic so this week our guest as i said before is dr randy coleman he is a licensed clinical child psychologist with 30 years of experience and is the founder of the fabulous website learningworksforkids.com randy thanks so much for being with us here thanks for having me i'm looking forward to this um so first of all why don't you describe uh, a little bit learningworksforkids.com and what that's about so Maybe what I'll let me give you a little bit of personal background just to tell you how Learning Works was developed. Mm-hmm. So my my training is as a child clinical psychologist, uh, and I've always been interested in kids' play. In fact, my master's thesis compared imaginative play in kids who were watching Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. So that gives you an idea about how long I've been doing this. But back <laughs> then, that was back in the 1980s, and so I've always had this great interest in play and in my clinical work. For many years, I began hearing from parents and kids about how much their kids loved digital media. And I'm working with kids with ADHD, with what we call executive functioning problems, things like difficulties with organization and planning and and memory skills. I work with kids who have been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorders, kids with anxiety and depression. And frequently for these kids, I would just hear about, I asked the families, what does your kid like to do? What, What kind of gets them going? What's their... You know, what are their passions? And so often it was technology. Now, back in the 80s, it was, you know, these were the kids who could program the VCRs at home. And over the course of time, it changed. And, you know, and especially as games have changed, it became really more, you know, engaging interactive games and, you know, now more mobile games. And and I began asking myself these questions. These kids love these games. It was clear that they were learning from the games. They would talk about it nonstop when you asked them to, to do that. I began asking, how in the world can we use these games to help these kids, as well as other kids, learn some of these skills? And then I began sort of researching the games. Now, one of the things I I want to admit right here and now is that I am not a gamer, unlike the three of you. I am not a gamer. I, I I play some games. Uh, I use my I use my I, I'm in front of a screen all day, but um I, you know I'm really you know I, I'm I, I'm not someone who I don't I don't really get into playing the games themselves. Although I really enjoy watching kids play games, and I actually we've created a whole series of terrific Let's Play videos on the on our Learning Works for Kids YouTube channel, a Let's Play YouTube channel on on things like Minecraft and 
and uh, Star Wars Battlefront and, and Portal 2 and a whole bunch of other games. So I, I enjoy a little bit of watching that, but I'm not a real game player. But I began trying to study what happened in games that you know kids were learning. How were they learning from games? And I began to realize that as kids played these games, they were learning using all kinds of incredible skills, especially these executive functioning skills that we've defined. Like, you know, planning is, is, is an enormous tool in many games. Cognitive flexibility, to be able to adjust from one level to another, to be able to adjust to different uh, dangers or, or, you know, to, to kind of develop what you need to do in order to, to beat, to, you know, to beat a you know, to beat a character in a, in a fighting game. So memory is used in so many games. So we be, I began to recognize that all these skills were being used in the game. At the same time, I saw that, you know, these kids are developing and using these skills in the game, but they're still coming to my office, okay? It's not necessarily helping them so much in the real world. Although as we've, as we've learned over the last 10 years, there are a lot of games that really do help promote some of these different types of skills. So I began trying to just do some research, put together Learning Works for Kids was initially just an informational website. It was just like, you know, for parents just to kind of learn about how can kids learn from games and what might they do. And over the course of time, it's evolved into this website where we've got probably about 800 games and apps that we've done reviews on. And the reviews are, are, are primarily designed for parents, teachers, and clinicians to use to help kids to take the skills that they're using in games and to apply them in the real world. Uh, you know, we see our role as being sort of the, the go-between between game-based learning and real-world learning. I think some of that happens just by the nature of playing these games. And if you talk to a lot of, you know, 20-something-year-olds, they'll tell you how much they've learned from games. They, they'll tell you that the, the, the gameplay has been an incredible tool for them developing a range of skills. But for some of the kids who might have some special needs, they don't do such a great job in sort of going from one place to another. Psychologists refer to this as generalization, you know, transferring a skill that you learned in one setting in one place to another, another setting with other demands. These kids don't do such a great job with that. So we try to kind of be the go-between and provide ways to make that happen. And, and I think part of this is, is, is just understanding how kids learn. Um, you know, I mean, games are incredible tools for learning just because they guide you through the game. I mean, you know, as, as an old man, if you will, I see I, I have a new technology. I'm, I'm looking for the written directions someplace. Okay? <laughs> uh, and I, I, I know to not do that now with games and apps. I know that you just that, that that a good game or a good app is one where you kind of start playing with it. You're playing. And, then, and that's a key word about what we do at Learning Works for Kids. It's really about play. Uh, and. You know, so that what, but what we try to do is we try to use these strategic teaching principles that can help make game-based learning real-world learning. So one of the things we try to do is either directly with the parents in our playbooks, or we have something on the site that we now call Play Now. So we've got about sixty of these Play Now games, which are games that kids can play on on the site. They're online games that that practice particular executive functioning skills. But in, before they play the game, what they do is they watch a short Let's Play video that describes what they'll do in the game, how to beat the game, but also describes the skills they'll be using in the game that we want them to pay attention to. We do a little bit of in that Let's Play video there where we just sort of tweak them to say, and by the way, you know, the planning skill you're going to be using in this game might help you to do your next project at school. Then we ask them a few quiz questions. This all takes less than five minutes for them to do. 
We ask them a few quiz questions that are really easy to answer, basically, which, again, trying to cue them into the fact that the planning skill they'll be using in the game is the same kind of skill they could be using to help themselves in school or to get their homework done or to clean their room, whatever that is. And then they play the game. They get right to the game and they can play the game. The same thing is there's a parallel to that with parents. So you're asking me, what is it that we do? So first of all, we're sort of previewing what's going on in the game. So sometimes that's a, that type of teaching principle is really important to help kids to know what's going on. If you want to help a kid, for example, with reading comprehension, if, they're, if they struggle with reading comprehension, they don't like to read too much. If you can preview for them what a book is about, they're far more likely to be able to grab onto those pieces of the mm -hmm. book and comprehend what's going on because they'll know sort of what to look for. Uh, we talk about a metacognitive process. So helping kids to be reflective and think about what they're doing is really important. And then the last piece of this is, is, is something is basically the generalization part, which is activities that are similar to what a kid might be doing in the game uh, that they can do in the real world. We, we have a little ditty for it. We call it detect, reflect, connect. So we want the kids to detect the skills they'll be using in the game. We want them to reflect or think about those skills in the game. And then we want to help them connect those skills to real-world activities. No, I can totally see how that would be helpful for parents as well to, to kind of lead them to a place of acknowledging that having the presence of video games in their kids' lives can have that positive impact and, like, thinking through that whole process. Does that help them relate to their kids, too, if they're – or to help them understand what their kids are going through and experiencing? Sure. I mean, you know, part of what we do in our in our playbooks and even in the Let's Play videos that are really designed for kids, but parents can certainly watch them, is, is we're trying to get them to understand that the kids are using some skills in the game. And all of our playbooks have a, a, a play together section. So in other words, mm -hmm. here's a goal that you can do with your kids. Uh, here are some goals you can set. The reason you're setting these goals is because you're going to be working on these skills. So we're giving them talking points, if you will about the game. So they don't have to be gamers themselves in order to make use of that. They, they just need to have a little bit of knowledge about the game to do that. I mean, unfortunately, you know, the old data was about only 30% of parents were playing video games with their kids. I think that's changing and I haven't seen any recent data, but this is data going back maybe to about 2010. But that's because, you know, more youthful parents, I don't know how old uh, the parents are in, on, the, on this podcast, but or youthful parents, you sound very youthful anyway, uh, more youthful parents who grew up with games and now starting to play those games with the kids. And they're, they're also the same people who recognize that there's some value in gameplay. Yeah. Great. So one of the things that, that you've done, um, Randy, is you've created uh, what's called this play diet, uh, which is really cool. And there's a great little graphic <laughs> that goes with it, um, which is a plate that basically looks like, you know, your USDA recommended food group. Uh, plate for the day. Um, so do you want to talk about that, Randy, and how you split that up and how that came about? Sure. Well, let me tell you how it came about. First, it used to be a play pyramid. Oh, okay. <laughs> for those of you who remember the food pyramid. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's how it started. And I, 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 that's probably on the website someplace, buried away someplace. I actually like that better. The play pyramid was kind of cool. We had some uh, young artists kind of draw all these different kinds of play. And we had like nine different kinds of activities like they had on the play pyramid. And, and But it came from that. It came from the idea that, you know, that that all too often the adults in this world are saying video games are bad for you. Mm -hmm. And actually, I don't agree with that at all. In fact, I own a URL called video games are good for you. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I haven't I haven't I haven't done anything with it. And 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 even when I say that, I say that with tongue in cheek in the sense that a certain amount of video games are good for you. There's some pretty compelling data um, that about an hour a day of video game play is actually good for uh, positive psychological health. Uh, a guy by the name of Andrew Shabilsky did a study over in England, studied almost, I think, 4,000 kids, surveys, a survey study, but basically the healthiest kids when it came to gameplay were kids who played for about an hour a day. Those kids had more relationships, they did better in school than kids who played for more than three hours a day. Interestingly, those kids were healthier, had more friends, had more things going on than the kids who didn't play at all. Hmm. So, and, and it makes perfect sense. If you think about it for a minute, what are kids doing these days? They're using technology. If you're not using technology, then you're not connecting with your peers as well as someone who does. If you're spending hours and hours and hours doing it, you probably, you still might be connecting with your friends, but you're missing out on other activities. And so, you know, a certain amount of digital play, uh, which is how I refer to it, is really healthy. And I think that we want to make sure that that parents understand that. And it's not just healthy because kids are learning digital skills so they can be digitally literate and they can be, you know, facile on a computer and they can kind of know their way around technology. It's it's healthy because it's cognitively challenging. It's healthy because it's very social these days. It's healthy because, you know, kids are having to deal with with frustrations and, 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 and overcome them in the games. It's healthy because they're using all these executive skills and practicing those skills in the game. So there's, you know, there's compelling data that says that, for example, play in action games is a terrific tool for improving selective attention, for, for improving processing speed. Uh, playing games that, in, 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 like StarCraft, for example, helps with cognitive flexibility. There are even, even data that's, that describes how games are really healthy for games that, that, that improve fluency, that are quick-moving, like Rayman Raven Rabbits, is helpful for improving uh, reading fluency. So we've got all kinds of reasons that digital play is okay. So the, back to the play the play. play. One of the things that I encounter, and I actually, before I comment too much, I'm kind of curious to get your opinions about this. Do you hear from a lot of families about being concerned about too much screen time, too much digital play? What do we do about that? Absolutely. I do. I'm, I'm uh, I guess what you would call a younger parent. My daughter is three. So especially the preschool set of parents, they're just, they're just terrified. And it becomes like something that like someone like myself, if I'm around a certain group of other parents, I, I just don't bring it up. I won't talk about it at all. And, uh, you know, because it can be like a, a derisive issue <laughs> talking to these parents. And, you know, I mean, it, it's it's really hard to convince them otherwise once they get the sort of notion in their head. And, and it's games are bad, screen time's bad. I mean, games are like 20 times worse than other screen time, which is the opposite i think actual um so so yeah i mean at least in in my experience with this age of a child screen time is is a huge concern of everybody i think it's also for older older parents and older kids um every time we've gone to a school setting and talked or even to some of the conventions around here we we hear that from all the parents they're very concerned about screen time I think there's a yep. lot of paranoia, especially if it's something that they're not familiar with. The instinct is to mistrust it because the because it's beloved by the younger generation. So therefore, it is this. It's like the bottom of the ocean. You don't know what's down there, and there, a lot of the fear. I mean, 
it's not understandable to me per se, but I think it, you know, it comes from a genuine place of wanting to make sure that your kids aren't getting into really horrible stuff. Um, but then because there's that technological barrier there, I think there's an intimidation that uh, they feel intimidated, too intimidated often to look into it and explore it and maybe find out what could be beneficial about it or just what isn't terrible about it. Like, for example, the, the example I guess that Linda and I had was that talk at the school where parents were convinced that Tumblr was basically a pornography website, <laughs> which it is not. There is pornography on Tumblr that you could find if you looked for it, but uh, that is not the purpose of it. But yeah, there's that, um, j- just the sheer fact that that is not what the medium is about um, when it comes to video games, I guess the answer or the the connection that parents make there is it's all about killing stuff and therefore your brain is going to become a murder brain um if i you know you can't be more eloquent than that frankly <laughs> yeah yeah i get the term shoot 'em ups like all games yeah. are shoot 'em ups and it's just so i mean like i just, i just get so baffled and some points just have to walk away from these conversations to be fair there is a game genre called bullet hell so yeah, no. and, you know, uh, it's part of, you know, this. I'm going to use this term loosely, the media's fault, because the only thing they cover are, you know, Grand Theft Auto and all that stuff that happens there, or like Mass Effect, which, which supposedly was this graphically <laughs> sexually explicit game, uh, which a, an author talked about who had never actually seen or played the game, uh, which was a really interesting concept there. Um but but yeah, unfortunately, um, your television news, a lot, lots of times your online news, even just they won't talk about games in a positive light at all because um, I think they're they're uh, capitalizing on the fear. So they're going to get more clicks and more viewers uh, if they make parents feel scared about it. And also, I think that a lot of parents have kind of a steep learning curve when it comes to games, and if you do not ever pick up a controller and try to play a game or watch very closely when your children play a game, it's really difficult to understand what's going on there. Mm-hmm. So unless they make that effort, you know, they, they just, they don't understand. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's one of the reasons I really appreciate what you're doing, Randy, because it, it sounds like you're making it, you're, you're offering parents a solution that is very attractive where they don't have to completely go gung-ho and let their kids play all the video games, but you're giving them permission to have their kids play a bit and have it be good for them and also offering them a way to learn more about the games that their kids are playing, and I think that's awesome. It is. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, a couple of thoughts occurred as, as you were talking about all these things. One is, you know, with the preschool crowd, even the American Academy of Pediatrics has sort of changed their tune. It used right. to be no screen time under the age of two and, you know, very rigid about that. And the, and I think the recognition now is that, you know what, some screen time is fine for kids, you know, supervised, you know, with younger kids. And you don't want to just give them the, you know, a, an iPad at, at one year old and let them sit in their, in their crib and play with it. Mm-hmm. But that, you know, some of that has changed. And I think that, you know, that sometimes parents still aren't quite getting that there is a real fear about it. Right? Uh, and there and there are real concerns. In fact, one of the things I'm in the process of doing is putting together a book proposal. I'm searching out some literary agents right now for a book that I I want to title Too Much Minecraft. Now, that might be playing on the fears of parents to say, (coughs) excuse me, Too Much Minecraft, but it's like the the concept, not so much, is that parents are very concerned about kids spending too much time with with screen time. I get those questions all the time when we've done webinars uh, 
those are the questions I'm asked frequently. And, and so our approach to this has always been to say, well, you know, digital play, you know, play with video games is, is a type of play. And that's how kids learn. They learn from their play. Right. And that, you know, that in today's world, it's not going away, obviously. Right. Uh, that what parents should do is try to to incorporate that into the kind of play that kids have. But the problem I think that happens today is that digital play is just so immersive. It's so engaging. I mean, kids love it. I mean, mm-hmm. that, you know, I had a kid in my office today earlier, pretty significant attention problems. Mother's saying to me, he can't sit still for anything. He's, you know, she was actually saying he's starting to annoy me. He's starting to bother me because he's talking all the time. He's going from one thing to another, except if I give him his tablet. Mm-hmm. And he's calm. He's peaceful. He's engaged. Well, that's terrific. And we can use that to some degree. But we have to kind of help the kids to not only be drawn to the screen, but to have other activities. And, and some of that I actually, you know, blame on parents. I'll get to that in a minute. Let me talk mm-hmm. a little about the, the, about the play diet. So the, so the concept of the play diet was to, to be able to say to parents is that digital play is fine just needs to be proportional to other kinds of play. The play plate has digital play. It has social play, doing stuff with other kids, you know, being outside, you know, more face-to-face kind of stuff. Active play, which I personally am a huge advocate of. I mean, I not only do I love the Patriots, <laughs> uh, but I like sports. I like activities. I like to exercise. I think that people need to be outside. I think that, that you know, the healthiest kinds of things that we can be doing are things where we're moving our bodies and we're outdoors as much as possible. And I just and I, and I think there's plenty of compelling evidence to suggest that if you can find one kind of thing that you should be doing on a regular basis that leads to you being happier, healthier, and, and getting along better with the world is to be physically active and being outdoors and doing that. And I think that we need to encourage kids to do that. Creative play, which we sometimes refer to, you know, in a, you know, as artistic kinds of things, but having kids have that kind of opportunity to do that is a real important part of play. And the last part of the, the, the play diet is free play, where, where there's less structure. You kind of do what you want to do. And, you know, all these kinds of plays are important. And, and it varies with the kid. I mean, some kids are going to be far more involved in active play. I mean, kids who are, you know, who are on sports teams, they're going to be more likely to do that. Kids who are, kids who are you know, more musically in, inclined or like to draw are going to be doing more creative play. You know, free play might be more important for younger kids. So it really varies based upon the kid's age, upon their interests, and also upon the parents' sensibilities. You know, for some parents, it's perfectly fine for their kids to spend a few hours a day, you know, involved with digital media. I mean, the reality is when I'm sure you guys are pretty familiar with with the with the studies that uh, the Kaiser Foundation has done where we see kids spending seven hours 38 minutes a day with digital media, kids between the ages of 8 and 18. Uh, Northwestern recently just did a study where I think teens are doing almost nine and a half hours of digital media a day. It's crazy. And some of that's multimedia kind of stuff that kids do in their homework with their cell phone next to them so they can check their text messages. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they spend so much time doing this. There, there, there's, a, there's a real concern about it, it being overboard. And I think that we have to kind of help find a balance. But finding a balance doesn't mean getting rid of digital play. Mm-hmm. It means sort of using it in, 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 in some ways. Sometimes digital play can be a really great tool for encouraging the other play. I, I, call, I call that like whole play. Like we think about whole foods that have, you know, proteins and carbohydrates together. But, you know, so, for example, you know, 
there's a lot of social play nowadays that goes on between basement, you know, one in Johnny's house and basement 10 over in Billy's house. And they're, they're playing uh, Black Ops 3 with each other. And they're talking, they got their headphones on and they're communicating. And they're going to go to school tomorrow and talk about it again, what they did and who they played against and stuff like that. So there's ways, you know, now we can use technology to in, in, engage in more active play. You know, people who are, you know, not necessarily video games per se, but using fitness bands. Although the data also suggests that kids who play those sports games, the kids who play Madden, they're more likely to go out and play football. Mm. Yeah. Kids who are playing FIFA, you know, they're more likely to be out playing soccer games. So, you know, there, there, there's some reason to kind of, again, kind of steer your kid into towards certain types of digital play that be, might be more likely to engage in these other plays. So, but but I the part of why I, you know, kind of did this initially was just to sort of find a way to help parents feel more comfortable that digital play should be part of a kid's life. It should be kind of part of a balance that they have. Uh, I think the kids who don't engage in digital play, and the data now supports this, uh, probably are less healthy in some ways than kids who at least engage in some digital play. Yeah. I have a mom who, or a mom, wow, a mom friend whose son, like you said, he plays football. He loves football. He lives football. So in the off season, that's what he's doing is playing Madden and keeping up with football. And then another aspect of that is that for them, it's one of the only games where he can play as a black character and play a person like him. So for for their family, it's it's really important that, to have that kind of game and to talk about that kind of game and talk about representation together. So, yeah, it's really cool. I was just going to ask, what are some of the strategies that you talk about with parents if kids can't stop playing, if they're having trouble with um, time limits, basically? Okay, good question. And and it's a a tricky question, too, because in part, it it depends upon the parents and, um, you know, what they're doing. Let me let me kind of take a if I can take a step back from this. Mm -hmm. One of the things, the notions that's come to me over the last year or so is I find myself blaming parents in our culture a little bit for kids' over-reliance on video games. And I'll explain that to you. Um, When I was a kid, which is a long time ago, and I have a very neurotic mother. I don't know if we are we allowed to talk about our mothers on this. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's all about moms. So go for it. (laughs) I have a very neurotic mother. Okay. She's my, my, my youngest son is traveling now in in, in Europe and she calls me like every other day, crying on the phone, begging me to get him to come home. Can't you just tell him to come home? He just graduated from college. It's dangerous over there. Can't you, you know, and she's crying on the phone. You're his father. Tell him to come home. And, and, she's very neurotic okay but when i was eight ten years old i got done with school i came home i went up and i played in the streets until the streetlights came on my mother had no idea where i was was playing baseball and whatever (laughs) we were doing and that was perfectly fine that's how neighborhoods work you just did that you went outside in today's world i think parents are so safety conscious so Mm -hmm. concerned about security so concerned about things happening to their kids that they're not really thrown outside to go out and do these things. There's so many parents where that doesn't happen. So the kids are inside and they're faced with a lot less, many fewer options about things to do, that w- except that they have games and technologies and screens that have so much to do. And I think that part of what I suggest to parents about trying to kind of limit video games, the first thing I try to do is I say, you've got to find ways to make other things more attractive. 
you got to set some limits on those games, and you can do that in, in a variety of ways. Whether that's be whether that be if the, if the kids are playing online games to simply control the router, you can you know you can program your routers to be on and off. You can put it in your bedroom if you need to do that. You can restrict you know mobile devices at you know at certain times. You can do all those kinds of things. There's all kinds of you know there's a, there there are screen time tools for iPads that you can use. You can do all that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, if you if you absolutely need to, you can take everything out of your house, but that means taking some of that stuff out for you as well. So, and there's a there's a range of those things. I've written about that frequently on our website, and if, if and, and if people want to look, learn about that, they can go and find all that stuff there. But I feel like the more important approach to this is to help kids to engage in other activities and to make them more attractive. So you might need to be the chauffeur who's taking kids to the skating rink. You might need to be the person who puts up a basketball hoop in, 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 in your front yard so kids can play. Uh, you've got to find some other ways to make things more attractive. You have to model those things too. Now, some you know the modeling doesn't help too much when you've got a kid who feels like they're almost addicted to games and technology. But the modeling plays a big role in terms of what you do. If your family is a family that, you know, spends some, some time watching TV or sitting in front of a screen, but you also play board games, you also go for hikes, you also engage, you, you cook together, you garden together, you, you have some other activities. But I think all those things play a role. And I'll tell you that I think that another way that I think parents contribute to this, and, and I know that I've done some of this in my, on my own family too, is we spend too much time in front of screens. Many adults do that. I mean, I can't, you know, I sometimes have to kind of shut those screens off for myself. And sometimes I do a better job than others. But I think that modeling piece is, is, is a really important part of this as well. So there's a lot more, I think, that, that you can do and that you sometimes have to do with the kids who have more extreme problems. But I think that much of what it is is making those other activities just part of your life, part of what you do. If you exercise regularly, your kids are more likely to exercise regularly. Just just how it is. If you model those kinds of behaviors, your kids are going to do those things more often. So you have to kind of find some ways to make that happen. Yeah. Wow. Again, super fascinating information. Uh, I know I'm definitely going to be sharing this with all of my mom's friends. Uh, I actually have, you know, I have a pretty good success rate when um, when I approach people with sort of this non-biased like here's some information i think that can help you um and and if i say it's by a psychologist they're like oh wow you know it's just it just makes things better like it's better than coming from someone like me who has played games forever and a husband who works for a game company and me who writes about games um so so yes i am i'm corrupt all around um but yeah so i'm so happy we had you on randy thanks so much for being here well, thanks for having me. It's been it's been a lot of fun. I I get a little passionate. I hope I didn't talk too much, but I No, no. It's it's yeah. great. I could have had you talk very much more. <laughs> Let's just say that. Longer time. Um especially when I'm thinking about kind of the parents in my circle that really have problems with screen time and just you explain stuff in ways that I just I just can't because um I actually am biased. I'm biased that games are really good and you know that type of thing. So yeah. So this so, is fantastic. So one one thing I I might suggest if people are interested in is I, I actually wrote a book about this. Okay. Before that, and, and not my too much Minecraft. That's that's still in process. But I wrote a book uh, called Playing Smarter, and that's Rhode Island Smarter. It's got S M A R T E R. There's an R in there mm. in in digital world. <laughs> and um, and and while while some of the book is directed towards kids 
who have ADHD and autism spectrum disorders. It's really more about how digital play is an important part of in today's world and how parents and educators and clinicians for that matter, because that's one of the things we're bringing our site to right now is we're trying to direct it more towards educators and clinicians uh, can use games to improve a variety of other skills. So, so that, so if anybody wants to read more about it, I've, you know, written a, a pretty lengthy book about it with, you know, with a lot of good examples and strategies that parents can use. Awesome. Yeah. And yeah. your website is such a great resource as well. It is. It's fabulous. All the articles, the database, um, everything on there. I highly recommend it often. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. Thank you. And we recommend Pixelkin all the time too. We, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yay. Um, okay. So we're going to move into our next uh, segment, which is what we're playing. So I know Randy, you said that, that you're not quite a gamer. Um, so uh, we switched this for some of our guests who don't play games. So you can talk about what you're reading or what movies or television shows that you've been watching lately that you really like. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I am an avid, avid reader. Um, uh, I'm reading uh, right now. I'm on the second book of a series about Bruno the detective. He's is it from a small town in France. I, I can't remember the actual title, but if you, it's Bruno something. Uh, <laughs> that's and it's really good. It makes you feel like you're in this small town in France, and you're drinking the wine and eating the foods, and it just feels warm and cozy. And I also am a an avid uh, YA young adult book reader because I work oh, yeah. with kids. So it helps me to talk to kids about books. I just read a, 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 a trilogy. Um, and again, I, I'm not great with the titles, but it's, it's the Grisha trilogy, G-R-I-S-H-A trilogy, which was really uh, terrific. Uh, you know, really a very nice series. And I just read a Neil Stevenson book and I'm blocking on the name. It's like Severus or something like mm -hmm. that, but it's not Severus, not like Severus Snape from Harry Potter. Right. Uh, but it's uh which i think you mean seven eves right that's what i mean thank you yeah. <laughs> it's a fabulous book yeah it's yeah, wonderful. Yeah. yeah yeah so that's all i mean i'm i i, I probably read a couple of books a, a week easily wow uh, I, I i i love to read i i read now i read mostly on my ipad so oh very uh, cool that's, that's, you know so that's that's where i i put my energy so uh and 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 not not finally. I, I, I I'm reading a I'm reading a, I, I I have a this is a little embarrassing to tell you, but <laughs> I have probably a comic book collection of about fifteen thousand comics. Oh um, wow! Now I inherited most of those. Okay, most of those I inherited from my great uncle who used to work for a magazine distributing company. So I was reading a Spider Man comic this week as well. <laughs> nice, nice, very cool. Uh, having fifteen thousand comics, I don't think I don't think that's anything to be embarrassed no. of. I think that's pretty impressive. <laughs> well, my wife has actually sold quite a few of them on eBay. Oh wow, yeah. Because she wanted to have a, a swim spa at our house. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know if you know what that is. It's kind of like a fancy hot tub. And I and I said to her, "That's a crazy amount of money." She said, "How about if I sell some comics?" I said, "Sure." Well, she sold enough comics to pay for this swim spot. So I said, yeah, "Great, yeah, wow. valuable, you do, you know? That's awesome." <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, Linda, how about you? What have you been playing? Well, I've been playing Rise of the Tomb Raider. I'm about halfway through. Yes. Um, the only problem is I'm having some motion sickness issues with it. So I went on the internet and looked it up and apparently I'm not the only one, but I'm going to try to change some settings, but, um, I can only play for about an hour at a time 
And then I have to go lie down and try not to throw. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't, uh, you know, I had to just plow through that game in order to do the review for Ramesh. But I have noticed when I've gone back, I'm trying to do some of the, it's called the challenge tombs where you don't have enemies that you deal with. It's just all puzzles that you're solving. And lots of times there are, stairs you have to run upstairs this way then that way then this way then that way like lots of switchbacks and that makes me really sick like yeah I can't do that yeah no I mean during there's some of that during like the main story game the thing that you know irritated me the most is just how much I had to shoot people and not be able to just stop and look around um but yeah the challenge tombs you know really made me sick too um so yeah don't worry about it (laughs) But on the other hand, I love shooting all the people. <laughs> I just love that. Nice. I, I grew up, I, I don't know, I grew up um, target shooting with my dad. Oh, yeah. And it feels like target shooting to me. It's oh, not yeah. like, you, you know, it's really fun. And I feel like I'm pretty good at it. So Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Sense. You're probably better at it than I was. I am a Jedi, man. Right, I'm really yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, I'm always, I, I'm not that that good uh, at the aiming and I know Tomb Raider actually gives you a little bit of help in that department yeah but um but yeah no that's not my strong suit (laughs) yeah um but on the rise of the Tomb Raider note you know it just came out on PC and so my husband downloaded it he sat me in front of it and he said I want you to tell me how much better it looks on PC than it did on the Xbox One and so I did oh my god it looks so amazing oh, really? <laughs> on the PC. Oh, wow. it's, yeah. I mean, it looks great on the Xbox one, but the detail is just, it's just, I, I can't even describe it. It's, it's like one of the best looking games I have ever seen like anywhere. And my husband says that too, and he works on Halo. So, <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, it was wonderful. It's beautiful. Yeah. It is. It's and like, beautiful. he sat me down and had me just play through some of the environments just so I could see a bunch of them. And I got so sucked in. <laughs> I just kept playing. He's like, you don't have to play the whole thing. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I just, just love it. <laughs> I think if you have Windows 10, you can stream it to your um, you can. Windows PC, right? You can. From your Ab- Xbox. Basically. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But I think it's actually a different version. Oh, I see. Okay. That's at a higher resolution um, for PC, yeah. which is what they do because they know PCs can handle that as opposed to the consoles. So. Wow. Sounds yeah. great. Yeah. So uh, other stuff that I've been playing, uh, Mario and Luigi Paper Jam which is super cool. I love the Mario and Luigi series. If you're not familiar with it, it's not your typical Mario game. It's actually uh, a turn-based RPG, uh, turn-based but strategic RPG game where you do a bunch of attacks with each other and, you know, it's 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 really cool. And one of the things that I love about it is its sense of humor. <laughs> it's because it, it makes fun of, like, Mario games just in general, like, all the time. So, like, for example, like, Bowser breaks into the castle to, you know, to kidnap the princess. And she says, like, oh, it must be that time in the story, <laughs> which is awesome. And there's there's lots of that in that game, which is uh, it's super cool. Uh, yes, the other thing that I've been playing is... Um, Lego Marvel Avengers, and I don't have as many good things to say about that one. Uh, One of the things I love about the Lego games is that they're so silly. You know, they're so fun and just kind of goofy. And the Avengers game is voiced um, by all the actors from the movies. And I think that takes a lot away from the Lego games. You know, actually, if you think about the earlier ones, they don't have any voices. It's all about the goofy things that they did and the facial expressions. And so adding in the real voices, I think, 
actually takes away from sort of the fun. Like, it, it doesn't seem funny to me at all. It's kind of like, why is this a Lego game? It could have worked just as well as like a, a 3D brawler type thing because there are so many characters and so many moves you have to learn and unlike uh what i call good games uh the lego games they don't give you tutorials they don't walk you through anything and i had this experience way back when i think it was when the first harry potter one was coming out i went to a demo with the developer hand me the controller and i said what are the controls and he's like well we don't do that we just sort of hand you the controller and see what you do and I was like, okay, like for Harry Potter, that was fine. Basically, all the characters worked in the same way. Like Hermione could do some puzzles and things, but they all used their wands to like, you know, zap things. But in the Avengers, everybody is so different. You know, Iron Man can fly. Captain America could shoot his shield at things. Uh, Thor has the big hammer with the hammer smash. And you're not being told how to use any of those skills. You just have to figure them out on your own. Uh and I've been very frustrated with it. But I'll be reviewing it on Pixelkin soon. Um, but yeah, I think that's about it. Oh, well, Hearthstone, you know, always Hearthstone. Big news there is that, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going off on a huge tangent here. But uh, they're changing the game quite, well, let's just say they're adding things to it quite drastically this year. They just announced. So rather than having, like, your one deck that you use and you go play people, they're actually having, like, um, splitting, like, the deck play. So you have your – you can play with, you know, the deck that you put together. You can use whatever cards you want. And then there's something new called standard play where you're only going to be able to use certain cards in your deck. And most of those are the cards that are specific to your class. So it really kind of levels the playing field a little bit because like a lot of uh, battles that I come across is like I'm playing, I'm playing, and somebody's got legendary, 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 legendary. And there's just, it's so hard to counteract that, that I think going into this, this mode where you're really limited on what you can use is, is going to be, going to be cool to, to check out. So that's me. I was going to ask, does the uh, voiced actor thing make you worried about the Force Awakens Lego game? Well, the trailer didn't show any voices in it, and it was pretty funny. The original Star Wars ones weren't voiced either. Um, I know they voiced the Jurassic Park one. Uh, I didn't play it, but Eric, uh, our writer, did. Um, so I hope not, because the char- you know the charm of those games is how goofy and silly they are. And once you have the voice acting there, it's like really hard hard to do that you know like I don't know Simone you have to rhyme, remind me who the actor is that plays Captain America uh Chris Evans yes but he's very like stoic you know yeah that's and true when, that's true when you've got that voice going with that you can't do anything fun with that character because he doesn't sound right if you do that it so. happens so much in in cartoon or animated movies too when you have triple a or triple a actors big name actors who don't often do kids movies or cartoons or things like that the voices can they don't necessarily you know they don't necessarily fit because good acting does not necessarily mean good voice acting yes sometimes it works really well but sometimes it's just like why stick to your face being on screen yeah the things that interesting here is that it is the voices the real voices of all of the characters but there's still that disconnect um there which is really frustrating because it's so cute and funny or it's supposed to be anyway it's supposed to be yeah um okay that's me simone what have you been playing 
What have I been playing? I'll tell you about another game that I played at PAX South. Uh, I had an appointment with Screen Cheat by Samurai Punk is the name of the developer. Uh, so this is a shooter game, a multiplayer shooter game that is split screen and everyone is invisible. So you have to look, Screen Cheat, if you will, at everyone else's position on their part of the screen to figure out where people are so you can shoot them. The first time I played, uh, the controls had been inverted and I didn't realize it and it was really hard, but I actually did okay. That I did the best that time. And then they were like, oh no, your controls are inverted. Go back and play it again. And f somehow I did worse with the normal controls, but it was still a lot of fun. I was really surprised at how actually how it worked like you would not expect that to work you would not expect to have everyone be invisible and still be able to target players but you can humans are amazing <laughs> awesome uh, so uh, seriously no assassin's creed this week seriously i have been gone nicole i have been i was in texas living assassin's creed not living assassin's creed no i came up with an alternate universe in which assassin's creed takes place in texas i will not suffer you to to hear about it here you know what who never know you never know like where assassin's creed is gonna go next like it could be the alamo or something i hope they go to texas <laughs> assassin's creed secession <laughs> <laughs> okay well we'll see we'll see um all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap, the, wrap it up for us this week. Thanks so much for listening. And Randy, thank you so much for being with us. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, you can send those to hello at pacelkin.org. If you are listening to us on iTunes, please give us a review there. You can find us on Twitter at pixelkin underscore org and at gaming with moms. You can find us on Facebook, just simply pixelkin. If you're listening to us on Outcast, you can uh, recommend individual Overcast, episodes. Not uh, Outcast. Overcast. I'm sorry. Outcast is a band. Uh, Overcast. Uh, yeah, you can recommend individual episodes on there over Twitter, and we hope that you will do that. Uh, and of course, we're on Blog Talk Radio, uh, just simply Gaming with Moms. You can follow us there. And we have an awesome YouTube channel, youtube.com slash pixelkinorg. You should go check out our stuff there. And I think that's it. So <laughs> I always I always feel like I'm forgetting something at the end there. Um, but I think that's it. So thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back with you next week. <laughs> <laughs>